welcome to episode 25 of Role Play Grow, the podcast for tabletop entrepreneurs, creators, and fans. I am Courtney Stover of Lightheart Adventures, and in this podcast, we talk to the creators behind the brands and the tabletop roleplay gaming space about who they are and how they are turning their passion for gaming into a career. If you've spent any amount of time on TTRPG Twitter, you've probably seen the gorgeous round dice boxes with colorful and magical epoxy patterns created by Staff and Branch. I am delighted to introduce you all to today's guest, Tim Carlson, the owner of Staff and Branch and maker of these dice boxes. Snagging a box for yourself is a pretty elusive goal, as he's usually sold out within minutes of his biweekly restocks. Tim never intended this to be a full-time business, but we dive into how he got started with Staff and Branch and how it's grown into a successful business in less than two years. You'll get insight into the construction of these boxes, his thoughts on Etsy, and more. Before we get into the interviews today, I wanted to share this really sweet review that I got on Apple Podcasts. Reviews are one of the best ways to support a show as they tell the algorithm gods that a show is worth promoting and more people can find it. So this review is from Lulu in WA, and they say, entertaining and inspirational. I am really enjoying this podcast so far. I've only listened to a few episodes, but I really enjoy the behind the scenes view at some of my favorite TTRPG creators. It is entertaining and inspiring. There are so many podcasts out there and I have a limited amount of time to listen. I'm happy to add RPG to my commute podcast rotation. Seriously, thank you so much, Lulu. Reading this really made my day today. Some other ways that you can support the show are via our Patreon page, which has a few different tracks depending on whether you'd like maps and adventures or tailored content for this podcast, including contributing questions for upcoming guests, a spotlight on our website, and even a shout out on this show. You can also check out our affiliates. Last week, I mentioned that with the start of September, everything fall and pumpkin related is coming out, and it is my time. (laughs) We talked about Friday Afternoon Tea's amazing ball blends, but this time I want to highlight Dice Envy's fall dice set called Pumpkin Dice Latte. It is a very pretty pumpkin-themed set of orange dice featuring sprinkles of gold glitter, a luscious swirl of gold micro-glitter, and just a hint of nutmeg. Go to DiceEnvy.com, enter in code LIGHTHEARTADV to receive 10% off your order of those dice or any other ones that catch your fancy, and help support this show. All right, thanks for sticking around, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Tim. Today, I am joined by the very talented Tim Carlson, owner of Staff and Branch and maker of the most gorgeous dice boxes that you will ever see. Hello, Tim. How are you today? Uh, I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to chat with you and get to know all about the Cool stuff that you're doing. Thanks. Yeah, I I like it. I I feel lucky to be able to do it. So uh, I'm excited to talk. Yeah. (laughs) Well, to start things off, can you tell us a bit about who you are and how you got into gaming? Sure. Uh, So I'm Tim. Uh, I I I guess I I got into gaming uh, really when I was 40. I played Dungeons and Dragons a little bit in college like occasionally i think one time i had a road trip out to washington dc uh that we played dungeons and dragons in the car with but nothing sustained and nothing really getting past like yeah let's do it and then rolling up some characters and then dropping the thread kind of thing so 
but then uh then I turned 40 and it was uh 2017 2000 yeah and um the world felt really lonely and I was living out in Massachusetts uh, I'm, I'm from Michigan originally and one of my buddies uh, his dad died and then shortly after he showed a picture he sent a, a group text to uh, of a picture of uh, his daughter, who was at the time, I think, 13. And she had kind of gotten out all of his old D&D stuff. And so he was like, look at this. She's checking it out. And I was like, that's awesome. I want to play. Uh, and I wanted to play because for a couple of reasons, I'd been listening to some actual play podcasts and and it sounded fun. And then also just like wanted to figure out a way to uh, you know, be there for for him and for my other friends who were going to like who wanted to play and and this was the best way I could think because we were all spread out over the country and and so I got together and said I would DM which I had never really done before and and then we started uh, a three year campaign that we did from level one to twenty that just finished up actually in June. Uh, we just, we, we finally came to a, a conclusion with that. And, uh, and, but like after about, uh, oh, I don't know, three, four months of us playing when it became clear that, that we all needed it as much as, um, as I did, <laughs> um, I, uh, I made them all, uh, dice boxes. Uh, I used to make furniture for a living. And so we'd, I'd have, we'd have all these like little offcuts, uh, little pieces of wood that you couldn't really do much with them. and. So I, I would take those, and instead of burning them, I, I made them some gifts, and then I started making dice boxes kind of as a side hustle. But the game has really kind of been so... It has become such an important part of my life and their lives. And just, I don't know, when, when you get to be a certain age, you get to be 40 years old, you, it's hard to have friends because you have other life things. And so we would call each other on the phone every six months and have this super intense hour and a half long conversation that looked nothing like what it was when we were friends. And so uh, all of a sudden D&D came along and it was like, wow, this feels familiar. This feels like having friends and this feels like, like, you know, just hanging out and laughing with each other. And, and, and it's been, it's been amazing. That sounds amazing. I've just, the journey that you took on, it's starting because of his daughter finding his old equipment and then right. just how that's grown. That sounds really special. Yeah, I, I, I definitely have moments multiple times a week where I'm like, I cannot believe that D&D has become such a huge part of my life socially as well as professionally. Uh, it, is, it has been uh, just uh, kind of a wild ride. Uh, and uh, completely unexpected. Not what I had planned. I, like I said, I was I was making furniture. I did that for about ten years. Yeah, at no point was I like, okay, now I'm going to make my D and D business. Like that, that didn't <laughs> seem like something that 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 could happen. So the fact that I'm I'm doing it now is is really I uh, constantly pinching myself. <laughs> well, yeah. So I would love to start with. Okay, you used to make furniture. How did you yeah. get into woodworking in the first place? So I moved out to Massachusetts from Michigan in 2006, before the Great Recession, where my wife and I, we had just gotten married, 
she has family out here uh, and they had like a mother-in-law apartment and we're like, let's go out. We'll go out for a year and we'll write books and it'll be great. And it has been great, but a year has turned into 17 years uh, or 16 (laughs) years. And um, I, you know, you, you move someplace new, you don't know anyone. I desperately needed a hobby. So I started, I decided I was going to make my own speakers. And then that got, that was just a ridiculous development, which I ended up doing and they still work and they're, they, they're great. But from there, I realized I was thinking a lot more about woodworking than I was about, about writing. And there was something about it that I really liked. So I found a, a cabinet making school that was in town. And so I, I basically, I went there for a year. I had good experiences, but didn't want to work in a cabinet shop because I, I was more interested in furniture, which is, they're different. They're not the same. And so I ended up apprenticing with a furniture maker uh, for about a year before my daughter was born. And then after my daughter was born, it was about, I don't know, a couple of years where I was just working at a kitchen store. And then this, this guy uh, was moving his furniture making business from Brooklyn to, uh, to my town. And the guy who I went to school, who, who owned the school I went to, emailed me and was like, I think this might be right up your alley. And so then I went, I, I went and worked for this guy for, like I said, about eight, eight nine years. And it was, it was an amazing experience. It was like, I, I felt like I, I, I was, so I was in college for nine years and never graduated. By the end, my degree was in interdisciplinary humanities. So I've always had a hard time finding something that I wanted to do uh, and figuring out, you know, what kind of life plan I wanted to have. So, so uh, all of a sudden, I, I found myself making furniture, and I was like, "This, this is the right thing. This is what I should be doing." And it was great, and it was really challenging, and it was really uh, some of the things I, I was very good at. Some of the things uh, were were not uh, always my specialty, but it was a, it was a good learning experience either way. So yeah, I, I did that, and then he he basically was like, "Look, I'm I want to retire," and uh, and so he started slowing down, and so then I started looking around for other jobs. I found some that weren't uh, one that wasn't great, and then had an interview for a really nice furniture job in town that I was excited about, but. I interviewed with them in in July of 2019. Didn't hear anything from them. And then meanwhile, I started making I was like I guess I'll in between looking for looking for work, I'll kind of lean into this like side Etsy project of making these dice boxes. And I have like a a small little shop in my basement and I started making them and then in October of 2019, I guess, it was like all of a sudden, someone, I don't know if you're familiar with Greenleaf Geek, but they're a, a dice maker and they retweeted one of my boxes and all of a sudden people started seeing them. And so it's kind of been off to the races from from there. That is such a wonderful story and journey that you've gone on. And to acknowledge something you said earlier, I don't know that anyone really ever has a life plan figured out. Like. <laughs> right, right. No, that 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 is absolutely true. I mean, uh, or at least for me, it's absolutely true. And I've been lucky enough to be able to kind of take the opportunities that have come to me and been able to tread water in between those <laughs> opportunities, I guess. But yeah, so that's that's kind of how I, I started out doing these boxes was kind of that meandering woodworking path, and then 
discovering D&D around the same time that I needed to find another job and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I would love to hear a bit more about that transition. So you decided to yeah. make a dice box for yourself and for your friends. Uh, it, you, you'd think I, I would make one for myself, but I, oh, I don't own any, di- I don't, <laughs> I, do, I still don't own any dice boxes of my own. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why, I, I guess but not, that's not true. I do have one from, I think it's Elderwood Academy that one of, uh, that a, a Twitter friend, 88 Riddles, he paints them. And so I bought one from him. But that, and then I have some dice bags uh, that I've gotten from from folks, but I don't own anything of my own for some reason. I don't know. It's just I am I am not compelled to keep them for whatever reason. Um, Fair enough. But but uh, yes. Uh, so I started. I start when I first made the boxes. They didn't have any epoxy. They were uh, the same shape, round shape, and they had the split opening like like uh, they do now. But they, I didn't use any epoxy because I didn't really know much about it. And I, the furniture place, I was, it was all hardwood furniture. And so I was really into that. But then as I started making them, I started getting in, uh, interested more in like the D&D community. And you just see all these people making all these beautiful dice. And then I think it was Sasha from Sun Shadow Arts. Uh, she makes beautiful dice, but she also had this she also did make some boxes, uh, at least for a while. I don't know if she does anymore. But it had epoxy in, in the box. And I was like, that is amazing. I, I really want to figure out how to do something like that. And then so I started started looking into like YouTube channels and, and different epoxy forums and just kind of trying to figure out what it was I wanted to do. And, you know, epoxy and wood, I guess, have, is not anything new people have been using it together for for years and years i never really I, like i don't tend to like the epo- like the big tables that have epoxy rivers in them they just are too much but i i do really like having a small little thing that kind of has some pop to it and uh, i don't know i just i felt like it started like it may it clicked with me in a way that few things have i've I've never considered myself an artistic person at all. And so it was a surprise to me that all of a sudden I was making art for a living. That was not at all, like I just couldn't have imagined doing it. That was a rambling answer. I don't know if that is uh, if that answered what you were asking or uh, or not, but uh, <laughs> that's what I did. Yeah, no, like it's really interesting. So I guess I'm just curious about the transition from making it for your friends, not yourself. Yeah, from that point until the time that you decided that you wanted to try selling these, like, what was that transition like? So when I made I, I, when I made the first boxes for my friends, one of my friends lives in Seattle. He uh, was talking about it with some of his coworkers, and some of his coworkers, their uh, their spouses worked for Wizards of the Coast, and they were like. Well, that that looks really cool. I I would I I'd like one. And so he got back he got back in touch with me and was like, "Look, these people are interested, you know, you might want to think about doing it." So I kind of just sheepishly put up an an Etsy page and was like severely undercharged <laughs> people for 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 the boxes and and just kind of started doing that and didn't really like it was very much a side project where I was, you know, I'd do it on the weekends occasionally or, or if like, I think 
think I technically started in 2018 and would do it just kind of when I had a, a moment, but I also had small kids and I had, you know, I, I, I didn't, I had a full-time job. So it was kind of, it was very laid back. And then, as I said, then the, that happened for about a year and then it started becoming clear that I, I needed to find a different job. And so I, I, the, the biggest thing I started doing besides making more of them was promoting myself or, or, you know, trying to post things onto social media and Twitter and Instagram and I guess by extension, Facebook. And that was, that was when it, it kind of became like a, okay, this is, this is more feasible to this. Like once I started getting a little traction, I was like, I, I can see a path where, where I can continue to do this and, and still am able to make a, a not a great living, but certainly a, a passable living. And it's kind of been, you know, getting better and better since. So the biggest thing was, was kind of understanding that no one is just going to find you. You have to, you have to announce yourself uh, if you can, as much as you can. Yeah. Marketing is that necessary evil. Yeah. <laughs> and what I didn't realize at the time when I was like, All right, I can do this is just like, you know, I'm a one person shop. So I make everything, do all the marketing for social, re- uh, social media, advertising, I ship, pack, and ship everything. It was just like, the list keeps going. I, I do all the photos. You know, you know it's just like, it is, it is a lot of full-time jobs that I do one of those full-time jobs really well. I think I make really <laughs> nice boxes. And then the rest, I just kind of do the best I can and hope for the best. But it isn't always easy. It, it is a little tiring at times, but also very rewarding. Oh, I totally get that. You're like, I just want to be a woodworker, but also now I'm a photographer and a social right. media coordinator. And, and yeah, <laughs> the other wild thing that happened too, is like when I decided, so I decided, all right, I'm going to do this full time in like October, November of 2019. In December of 2019, that really great job that I was, uh, had applied for in the summer called me back and was like, do you want to do this? Uh, like, we have this job for you now. And I was just like, oh, man, um, I think I need to try to do this other thing that I'm doing because uh, it has potential, which was a really hard decision because uh, there there were a lot of unknowns. There are still a lot of unknowns. But it was like, you know, at, at some point, you got to bet on yourself and if you want to do the things you want to do. So I decided to give it a try. and. And yeah, that was, and then uh, immediately after that, there was the pandemic. Uh, and so that, <laughs> I had no idea uh, how that would affect me or not. Turns out it probably ended up working out best because I get to work home from home. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not out and about in the world uh, so much. And so, um, you know, I was able to kind of reduce my, my exposure to things. And yeah, the business itself hadn't been negatively affected by it. So. So that was good, but I look forward to it being over at some point. <laughs> For sure. One of the questions I like to ask is, okay, well, how did the pandemic affect your business? It's like, well, uh, I guess it's been the majority of the time of your business. Yeah, <laughs> that's what's been so wild. It's like, I, I, I think about it every once in a while. I'm like, yeah, for all but like three months of my business uh, was really uh, <laughs> just, uh, just has been in the pandemic. And so that on its own has been been a, a wild ride. And 
it is difficult to work from home, have your wife work from home, and have your kids both be having remote school from home and trying to be somewhat productive. It, that that was that was the trickiest part, just kind of juggling all that. You know, you eventually figure it out, but it it definitely was a balancing act that I was not always prepared for. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I look back at, at my at my sales like and that. March, April of 2020. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I was depressed and <laughs> going through stuff where I was like, oh, the world's ending. Great. Um, so not my most productive uh, time uh, of my uh, business, but but <laughs> I have since rebounded and um, feel feel good about where things are going. Yeah, that's, that's great. And I think that anyone that was able to accomplish any amount of business things in the last year and a half like it's admirable it has not been easy it's uh it's it's tiring you know it just makes uh, like everything is everything is more tiring um Mm -hmm. and i think you know working for myself had allowed me to kind of give myself a little break here and there in terms of uh like you know on the one hand uh, there's an imperative to make money but on the other hand like there were days where i just like i can't I can't today. <laughs> I need. I need to. Uh, today <laughs> needs to. I need to take today off. So yeah, and and thankfully, you know, my my family, my wife, and kids they they are have been super supportive and you know leading the gang of people che- cheering me on. So it ma- it makes everything so much easier when you know the the stresses of the business are are not mine alone. I can uh, share them with you know with my wife and. We can talk about them and then and figure things out for us. But you know, pretty much from the jump, as soon as it became even remotely possible that this was something I could do, she's always, she's been she's been like, "This is what you're doing." Like, I don't want to hear you talking about anything else. Like, this is what you do now, and and so that that's been really great and super helpful. Yeah, that's awesome. I do like to get into kind of some businessy decisions. Yeah. So something I'm curious about is. For back when you were first starting and you decided to open up this Etsy shop. And I know for a lot of new creators and new makers that it's hard to balance that deciding like how much inventory you're going to have, like how much you're going to invest in getting materials before you even have any sales. Right. So I just love to know what your process was for getting your shop set up. Well, I think for me, uh, it was it was really low low stakes because. I was basically just getting most of, because I was just using wood. I was just getting my materials from literally scrap wood that we were throwing away at my day job. So like the idea of investing money up front was never a concern initially. So when I first started, it was like, I, I have this shop in my basement. I was able to also work in off hours at my uh, furniture making job, my boss was like, yeah, you know, if you want to come in here, that's fine. So that was great. And so like, I, I really kind of nibbled at it at first because like I said, it was, it was not something that I, I was considering to do full time. And so, you know, it would, you know, like my biggest expense was sandpaper and finish. (laughs) So that's, you know, that's very doable. When I decided to go full time, that's when things got a little bit not even scarier, but just like more real. You know, uh, the first time I spent, uh, you know, I, I had to get a wood shipment. It was, uh, you know, it was like a thousand dollars, and I was like, 
wow, this is this is me saying something that to myself that like okay, this is this is a deal, like no going back, you know, kind of thing. Uh, and so, so yeah, initially there wasn't a lot. Of, initially, it was just like it was just like I mean, I'll put stuff up, and in terms of inventory, like I've before people found me, I was never too concerned. Like I, I don't think I've I don't think I've really ever had more than twenty boxes at once up in my store. And now I I don't have any I because I I they sell out so fast I put them up people buy them and then like twenty minutes later people are like where are they and I I have to explain I'm sorry <laughs> when that first started happening that actually caused a little bit of I don't know if it was a panic attack but I started getting a little traction in like January of 2020 where things really started to to move for me and at that point i had just agreed to do my first convention and i was like oh my whole plan has changed because in order to have stuff for the convention i need to not sell things so that i can bring them to the convention and then karen from dispel dice contacted me and asked me to make her some boxes some custom boxes for her and that oh my gosh like you know she at that point had the largest Kickstarter ever. And it, I was like, this feels overwhelming uh, a little bit. Like I, I went from three months before, you know, having, I think, I think the year before I went full time, I made like $2,000 total in my shop. And then all of a sudden, like I was sold out of everything and people I had a lot of respect for were contacting me about, you know, possibly, making them a, a box. And so it was all, it all felt like it was coming at me very quickly. Eventually I was able to kind of just take a, take a deep breath. And, and the other thing too, is I have, I have ADD. So like all of a sudden I I was being hit by what felt like all sides and, uh, and I didn't know which way to look. And so it was, uh, it, it was just a lot to take in, but I eventually kind of was able to figure figure out some of that stuff and yeah uh eventually this past spring you're talking about investment in your company i i bought a cnc machine which is a computer controlled router which basically will does a, a lot of the time intensive low skill labor much faster and much more efficiently and so I finally got that going up. This last update I had last weekend was the first uh, set of boxes I made using the new machine. But that was not a small investment. That was a that was a, a very large investment and super scary to agree to. But if I wanted to grow at all, it was what had to happen because I was making as many as I could and selling them out uh, as fast as I could make them. Like I, I, I still I still don't know where my cap is if that makes sense i don't know i haven't figured out how many i can make that will still all be bought you know i, I don't know how to have uh, backstock at this point so we're, we're, we'll we'll keep going and seeing seeing what happens well congratulations that is a huge investment i know and but that's going to be so exciting it has been exciting it's been kind of relearning how to how to do my bit you know i uh, i had been doing it for full-time for about a year and a half and doing it one way. And so now I'm doing it a different way and it requires different skills. And so that first batch in particular was, was really 
a little nerve wracking and I'd messed up and basically had put them on backwards, like the tops on backwards from what I was used to. So then I had to switch things and then keep everything separate. And it kind of started preying on things that I'm really terrible at, like keeping keeping track of things. So, uh, <laughs> which is why I, I honestly, I don't do special orders because it's not, I'm, it just crashes everything, grinds to a halt because I, if I don't take care of something right away, it tends to fall through the cracks. And so with the special orders, like there with emails and with everything, it just like, all of a sudden, when I was doing them, I was like, I'm making about half as many boxes as I could because of these three special orders that are hanging over my head and, and just interrupting me uh, and, and doing crazy stuff. So, so it's been a kind of a slow process to figure out what kind of business I need to run or can run. I, get, I feel like I'm still figuring that out. Uh, and we'll see, I, I, I certainly never thought of myself as the kind of person who would own their own business. So when I all of a sudden found myself doing just that, it wasn't expected. And I spent 10 years learning how to make boxes. I have spent about a year now learning how to run a business. And I'm much better at one than the other, but, uh, but I'm learning. So Ah, that makes sense. Yeah. Hey, entrepreneurs. I love introducing you to new creators every episode, but I could really use your support. I would love to invite you to join our Patreon page where you'll gain access to behind the scenes content, add your questions to upcoming interviews, and you could even receive a shout out on our site in an upcoming episode. To learn more, go to lightheartadventures.com slash RPG. And now back to the show. I would love to learn about your design process. Mm-hmm. One, one of the, so first, for the most important thing I think for me is the wood that I start with. And one of the things, there are a lot of people making dice boxes, including very big people like Wormwood. And I have a lot of respect for the skill and craftsmanship that they have. However, I wanted to do something that didn't use African hardwoods or or tropical woods, because having worked in furniture, even even the sustainably sourced stuff seemed sketchy to me. And when I make something out of walnut, I know it came from Pennsylvania, and I know how it is harvested. And you know, there's just fewer unknowns. The other thing too is with when I started doing epoxy, like I don't. It gets too much if you're using this really exotic, fancy wood that you know has this amazing grain. It seems it seems a shame to then cut a lot of that out and put a bunch of epoxy in there. Um, that that wood is beautiful enough on its own. So I wanted to. So when I when I start with what I I, I usually have is it, it's domestic uh, domestic species. It's a lot of walnut, sycamore maples, things like that. And then also like nothing that like I I want it to be, you know, have some character, but it doesn't need to be the most wild grain pattern or something like that, because that's what the epoxy is for. You know, um it, it, if you if you mix them together, I feel like it just gets too much. So then I so I'll pick out the wood and then I I basically cut the tops. Uh, or I, I so I take a thick piece of wood, say a two inch piece of wood, I'll cut off like a half inch of that, and that will be the tops. So with my boxes, a lot of them, when I can, the grain will run from the top to the to the bottom. 
if you're looking at it from the sides. And it just helps kind of bring everything together, make sure the color matches, and it just kind of looks right. But then with those tops, I then cut those into like blocks. Uh, in my case, it's like five by five or six by six. And then, and then I'll look at the grain or I'll look at the piece of wood and I'll figure out some kind of shape. Sometimes it will be a very, like I'll cut out, like I've been making these dragon eye kind of shape boxes for a little while now. And so I'll cut out the, the top to have an opening that looks kind of like an eye. Other times it's kind of more like a meandering kind of river kind of look uh, that I'll cut out of the middle. So then I have these two pieces, I'll put those in a mold and I'll fill it with epoxy. Now, with the epoxy, there are different colorants like uh, mica powder or uh, alcohol ink and glitters and uh, foils and, uh, you know, gold leaf. And, you know, there's all sorts of things you can add into it. And so I try and think mostly of a color palette. One of the first times I used alcohol ink, I was like, I want to try and do a sunset kind of thing. So it was like a yellow, orange, dark red purple and then like a dark blue and kind of have a gradient like that. So, I mean, I, I, I do, I do a lot of nature kind of things and I do a lot of space kind of things. Cause those are the kind of things that will, that interest me and that I'm inspired to do. And then also the thing about epoxy is it, it is finicky, but I find forgiving in that even if you mess up what you're trying to do, it will still kind of look pretty cool. So they're like some of my favorite, designs I've done have been because I've I was trying to do something else and it didn't work out the way I thought it would but it ended up being this really cool other thing that uh that I wasn't expecting. And so I I what I what I like about about doing it the way I do it as opposed to like if I just did like a run of like you know 10 boxes at once where I after I pour the epoxy I then cut up the tops. That would probably be more time efficient but but then you're making 10 boxes that are the same. I like to be able to make different things. And I think that there are going to be people who start doing what I'm doing. And when that happens, I wish them luck. But I, what, I, what I like about what I do is that each box, even if it's a design that I've done before, it, it doesn't look the same as the one I did before. It, it's going to be a little different. So each box is going to be unique. And, and each box is is its own special thing that really for for that that's what keeps me interested if i if i did it a different way as i say i I might be able to make more of them but i would get bored and i wouldn't want to do it anymore by doing each box individually i get to choose what i'm feeling that day and i get to and i mean thankfully i've found a customer base in the community that appreciates that uh you know, if no one was buying them, it would be a lot harder. But because I'm able to make a different variety of things, you know, the dragon's eye boxes might not be for you, but maybe the space one is, or maybe, you know, the one that looks kind of like earth from above, or, uh, you know, it's, it is a fun medium to play with because you can get so many different results if you just play around and, and experiment and, and figure out what works and what you want to try and do. Yeah, I definitely agree that there is a huge appeal and that just every one of your boxes is completely unique and really special. Thank you. I, I When I started using epoxy, I was like, I want to make things that are worthy of these amazing dice that people are making. And if I can do that, then 
then you know I, I feel like that become it becomes part of the 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 specialness of it you know like you and like if you can ma- if the dice match up or whatever you know there there have been a, a couple times I've teamed up with dice makers and and so made a box that goes goes along with with the dice that they've made and that's that's been really special to me uh, just be able to you know kind of have that uh, collaboration which I it, it isn't always easy because. It's not like I'm working right next to these people, and we each have our own businesses that we're trying to figure. But when it when it has been able to work out, it it has been really nice. Um, I really like promoting other people's work, and I really like, and that includes other dice box makers because I understand that in order to make the boxes I make, I have to charge a lot more than what a lot of people can afford, and so there are a lot of really amazing craftsmen out there who are making boxes that are much more affordable than what I, I am making and the, and their work is great. And I, I feel like the community, the, the D and D playing community or the, the role play tabletop role playing community is very generous and wants to support smaller businesses and smaller makers. And that's been, that's been the not, not, not surprise, but like just such a unforeseen benefit that I, I didn't, hadn't anticipated. Uh, when, I, when I first started making them, I was like, oh, you know, people will buy one, that'll be great. I didn't think people would buy more than one. Um, and <laughs> like, I, there is one person who has bought 20 of them. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> and like that, I've not, never in my wildest dreams did I think that someone would do that. But, but, you know, even like there are people who bought three or four of them that I never thought would happen, you know? Um, so I've I'm always blown away by the people who who appreciate the work that I do and have have always been very supportive even if they can't buy a box just retweeting stuff or you know sharing it on social or telling me they they like it like that it goes a long way and I really am grateful every time I sell something I'm I am super grateful uh, that someone sees value in something that I'm making it's uh it is it, it is an amazing feeling yeah, I imagine it must be. I do have like a couple of questions on. I mean, I know that the answer that might change once you get more accustomed to the CNC machine, but do you have a goal at the moment about like how often you restock or how many items you're going to have when you restock? Yeah. So, yeah, that that does that is in flux right now because I don't know. However, I try and restock about every once every two weeks and the way i was working uh working before i got the machine was i I would basically spend a week pouring uh epoxy and then i would spend the next week sanding and finishing and like basically shaping the box and doing all that and so and that would be and and so that would that would be my two-week schedule and i would get anywhere from 12 to 20 boxes that I'd be able to do depending on, you know, if kids are sick or, you know, whatever. When, when I got the new machine, part of it is it does go much faster. The making the bases, whereas before the, the choke point, like everything kind of happened around the same time. Like it took, it took a long time to make boxes, but it also t- like took a, uh, and pour the epoxy, but then it also took, about the same amount of time to like shape and sand and do all that kind of stuff. Now, pouring the epoxy takes a long time, but the finishing process to 
get the epoxy looking good again because it looks nice when you pour it but then i have to sand it and shape it and that at that point it looks terrible and like a gray mess uh and so i like with most most wood projects like when i was making furniture you would sand to 80 grit then 120 grit and then 220 grit and then you'd be done with the epoxy boxes i sand 80 120 220 400 800 1200 (laughs) 2000 and then i hit it with four different polishing compounds so it's it's just a huge like that that is a huge amount of labor then that that's which is why i have to charge a lot because epoxy there are ways to do it where you don't have to like once you pour it you keep it in a dust-free room and you and it, it it is what it is but i've the way I make them, I they they have like a concave top to them, and to get that you have to sand it. And also, I find that it just I like the way it looks after it's been sanded away a little bit. You get underneath the surface, and it's just more interesting. So the process is what it is. It takes a long time, but going forward, I would like to be able to to do, I guess. Maybe sticking with the same two week schedule, but sticking closer to twenty to thirty boxes. Maybe we'll see what happens, how 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 it changes, and see see if that if that's something I can keep up with. If I can, that's that would be amazing. But we'll see. So much of what I've been doing the last couple of weeks has been figuring out how to like use the software and how the machine works that I haven't been able to like fine tune my making process. So that I am being efficient with my time, or at least as efficient. So yeah, I'm definitely in a in a moment in a in a bit of flux right now. In a way, I wasn't say two months ago, where I kind of knew what I was doing and knew what I was capable of. Yeah, that totally makes sense, and that is a wild amount of labor that goes into the. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, like I say, it. You know, you look at people who are making dice boxes who are doing it in a production, like a, a large scale production process. Most of them are a they're shaped like hexagons because if you shape them like hexagons, you can sand them all together. Uh, you can just kind of stack them up and sand aside and like just kind of go across and then flip them and sand and you know and and save time that way. With with mine, they're circles, so I have to sand each one individually. And again, it, it's I I made like I made these initially for friends. So I, I didn't put any consideration into into like, okay, how can I do this more efficiently? It was more just like, oh, I like this design. And if I ever wanted to go try and go bigger than than one person and you know whatever I personally can make, I would I would need to look at, you know, changing the design up a little bit or you know, just making the process a little bit easier. But I don't want to make a business. I want to make things i like i like i like woodworking um and so I, like if that means I, I never you know am a huge player on the big company national stage that's fine i'm like so happy <laughs> i like this last year and a half i've been just so happy to be able to do this and and to you know find people who who appreciate what i'm doing and my goal has always been to make enough to justify doing it. And, and right, right now I, I am. And, and it's, you know, 
it's never going to make me rich, but but I am it, it, I'm very happy. Uh, so I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're doing what you love, and I feel like that's basically the ultimate goal. Yeah, yeah, that definitely. Um, it's definitely always been my goal, uh, and it's one that both my wife and I kind of port each other in, in that way. Like the decisions we make are generally based on that metric, you know, of what is going to make us happy and balancing that with what are we going to eat? Uh, so, um, <laughs> you know, uh, but it just, this past year and a half or two years almost that I've been doing this has been, um, has been really great and I, I wouldn't change it. And yeah, it's been uh, just like I, like I said earlier, I feel so fortunate. I can't even, I can't even believe it. Yes. I do want to make sure that I give time to ask this question that I like to ask in every interview, mm-hmm. which is when you look back over the last two years of you know starting the Etsy shop and just the explosion of um, interest that you've gotten over that time, what would you say has been the most challenging part? Um, for me, it's always doing new things. And so every time I've needed to... Um, like even starting the Etsy shop was a mental challenge. And the, the first time I, I had to order wood to my home was always like nerve wracking beyond reason. Like it, it just, it, it didn't make sense to me uh, why I was as nervous as I was. But so I always, I, I do always have a hard time. I, I am a creature of habit, I suppose. And so when, when things change up on me, it, I, I have a hard time adjusting or at least making that first move. But that's why I've had or been lucky to have the support that I do. And then on top of it, I think the biggest, the biggest fear was just like the unknown of starting this up and like just kind of betting on myself enough, like all the way. That, that, was, that was really hard to, to do. But I think what being unemployed for a few months showed me is that even things that you think are stable can go away at any time. So, uh, so there's, there are no guarantees. There's no such thing as a safe job. It, it is a job. And that made that, that's what ultimately led me to, to kind of try this out is that I was, I realized that if I wasn't going to do it, someone else was going to do it. Uh, so it might as well be me and it might as well yeah, I might as well, uh, you know, just kind of take the plunge. Okay, I love that. <laughs> that is really insightful, I think. And I know that like fear holds a lot of people back, but yeah. I think that that's a really good mantra to try and counteract it is that, yeah, like someone's going to do it. It might as well be me. It, it, it's it's not always easy to... Uh, to do, but, but like, <laughs> but that was definitely, uh, that was the, the thought, uh, that I had when, when I finally was like, okay, let's do this is that, you know, I, I am not an artist who doesn't like what they make. I know there are a lot of them out there and God bless them for continuing to make things anyway. But if I didn't like what I made, I just wouldn't make it like I, that it doesn't make, that's not how I'm wired. So I, I was like, I like what I'm making. I think it's cool. I, I think it's, it has value. And so why not? Let's, let's, let's give it a try and see what happens. Yeah. Well, to circle around, again, looking over the last two years, what would you say has been the most rewarding part of this journey? 
I think it's been a couple things. One, sharing it with my family and also my D&D group. They are so supportive of what I'm doing and like are cheering me on and we play twice a week. Yeah, they they're just 100% my corner as well. So, like being able to share it with them, share it with my wife, my kids has been great. And then also kind of discovering this this community of the tabletop community mostly on Twitter and like being able to make functional art is really great but i like the game has given me so many great moments uh with my friends that like i i really love being able to be in a small way a part of someone else's table you know if if they look at their dice box and think that's really pretty that's wonderful but ideally for me they also then remember some kind of moment in the game in in you know their tabletop game where they're laughing with friends or they're you know they they they're they're shedding tears because a, a beloved N- npc died you know whatever it's a it is a small emotional connection but it's it's one that i i didn't understand how much i would really love being a part of and i find i find really special that is really special and yeah, just having that connection of any time that they look at one of your boxes, there's some memory associated with that. Like, that's, that's I hope. Amazing. Yeah, you know, like I, I realize it's not always the case, but maybe maybe someone every once in a while thinks about it. And yeah, yeah, I mean that that I don't know. I I am very much a a role playing game convert, and I will proselytize uh, about it <laughs> to any who will who bother to listen because because it really has done a lot in terms of my mental health, uh, my enjoyment of life, and my connection with, uh, with people who I, I, I love dearly. So, so to be able to be a, uh, you know, a part of, of that experience for someone is, is really, I, I can't ask for more. Absolutely. So I do very quick want to switch gears a little bit and just ask another thing that I find really interesting is about Etsy. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> so you've been using Etsy for almost two years now, and I am just curious about how you're feeling about it these days. Uh, kind of what was the decision process in using it in the first place, uh, how you felt about it, what you've learned, and if you're still good with it, if you want to move away, just tell Et- me about Etsy. Etsy is a, uh, a poster child for um, the, uh, the power of forward momentum. And in, in that, I don't like Etsy at all. I, in fact, actively kind of dislike them. But leaving there right now is too much on my plate. They, uh, when I started, I started because I wasn't, I didn't, wasn't making any sales, and so it didn't matter. And it was free, uh, except for, you know they didn't. They only took money once you made the sale. I eventually will move on. Because the other thing, I mean, with that, so with the way my business has gone, I I drive all my own traffic. I'm not getting any anybody from you know. It's not like Etsy's you know, bringing people to my site. They're not because I don't have anything in my shop most of the time. And so with Etsy, they started doing shady stuff. I mean, they've probably always been doing shady stuff, but the um, the way they deal with their advertising budget now, in terms of charging you if anyone has clicked on one of it, like they they promote you 
whether you want them to or not. And then if anyone clicks on that, at any point within that in the next 30 days, if they buy something, Etsy's going to take 15%, which <laughs> is wild and awful. Then they, they recently started doing uh, most recently. This is the thing that I'm like, I got to, I got to leave. They did. It's that they're, they called their star seller. Uh, and so you need to have 95% five-star reviews. You need to have 95% tracking or not tracking um, uh, shipments by X amount of time. And then also 95% in terms of your customer communication. But the thing is, with the 95, like if, if you get a four-star review, that might as well be a one-star review, right? Because that's not a five-star review. So that counts against your 95% uh, five-star review. Then with communication and with shipping, like I, I occasionally, I say I don't do special orders because I don't, but, but if a friend or someone I know in the industry wants to do something, I'll do a custom order for them. So I will talk to them. I'll email them. We'll have a conversation. They, I'll make, I'll create a special order, and in that I'll say, I'll say to them, I'm going to ship this out on Monday because that's when all the rest of my other uh, boxes are going out, and I'm only going to go to the post office once. So, but Etsy doesn't have the opportunity or the option of pushing it back that far. So now I'm late because I've made a sale and I have not shipped it out on time. But I've talked to the person, you know, uh, and we, we, I, I'm very good at communicating because, as I say, I do it right away. If you, if you contact me, I will be very much uh, responding very quickly. Because if I don't, I know it's, um, it's a recipe for disaster. So it, like, it, it leaves no room for any kind of nuance or just kind of personal relationship. It's all, it's all just numbers that you plug into a machine and... I don't like them. Uh, I don't. Uh, they they take more money per sale than something like Shopify does, for instance. They take more of a percentage, and and yeah, it, it, like I I did after my taxes this year. I did the numbers, and with what Etsy took compared to what Shopify took, uh, would have taken it was basically even. I think I paid two hundred dollars more for Etsy last year than I would have for Shopify. But I've since raised my prices, and I'm sell more things now and financially as well as just like that's it kind of sucks uh it doesn't make sense for me to be there anymore but i just haven't i don't want to put out like make a website that isn't good and i don't i haven't had the time to make a good website that sells things so that it's in the works it, it is definitely something that i want to do and and hope to do soon but yeah, I, I I would like to get away from Etsy. Fair enough. I've definitely heard some grumblings about the star seller program. I but some of what you're saying, I did not realize it was that bad, especially with 15% of ad revenue. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The ad thing was like basically if you ever see an Etsy ad, don't click on it. Just go to the store directly and you will be doing that seller a much bigger favor. <laughs> Because yeah, and and like there, I think you can opt out of it if you make under ten thousand dollars a year, but you can't opt out of it if you make more than that. Wow. So yeah, if if that if your business is in Etsy and you need their kind of marketplace to keep going, it it is it is uh they they kind of put the screws to you. 
Okay. Well, I hope that you are able to get away soon. I I know that starting a new website and setting up a storefront is definitely a lot of work, uh, but I can also, on the flip side, say it's not as scary as you think it is once you get started. Well, here's the the good news is uh, like, so my wife uh, has actually made my website. Uh, She's a web developer. Uh, Well, all right. (laughs) However, uh, there's no back end. It basically just links to my Etsy stuff. And if I want to do Shopify, I just need to migrate all that kind of stuff over. And yeah, I I guess technically I do have a a website. Uh, I just never, I haven't updated it since it was made, but it is at staffandbranch.com. But it's it's really out of date. uh, And I, I do almost all things like I send everything to Etsy for my shop and or Twitter uh, and to a lesser extent, Instagram for, for kind of promotion and uh, advertising stuff like that. So. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> that's cool. me. Well, thank you for <laughs> giving me your honest feedback and opinion on Etsy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I realized it wasn't maybe the most political answer, but uh but honestly, I, I, they, I like. I feel I don't owe them anything, and if they kick me off their site, great, awesome, perfect. Uh, so <laughs> motivation. But yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm glad you asked. It, they are, they have been kind of circling my my vision in in terms of, ah, oh, God, I don't like that I'm associated with them. So maybe this will be good motivation. Cool. Well. Tim, thank you so much for coming on to the show and chatting with me today. Where can people find you? Mostly, uh, you can find me at Staff and Branch at Twitter. I also do do Instagram, where it is at Staff and Branch at Instagram. Yeah, uh, and then my uh, Etsy shop is uh, Staff and Branch. So uh, that's where all my stuff is. With Twitter and Instagram, I when I have shop updates. A uh, day or two beforehand, I will uh, start posting the pictures of what's going to be in the update, uh, as well as what day and time that update is. Because uh, as we discussed it, I started having to do that when things were selling out in minutes. So uh, so I try and give people as much of a heads up as possible. Those are good places to find information about what my next when my next update is going to be. So when you do have your restock go live, is it, are we talking like two minutes, five minutes? How fast? Yeah, it depends. Uh, usually, so usually what happens is there are a, like, say I put up like 15 boxes. Uh, usually like 10 of them are gone within, within like two to five minutes. Then three more might go within the first 20 minutes. And then there might be two that hang around for an hour or so. So if you have one you like, you know, you gotta, you gotta move quick. And like, like to the point where like, People are like, it was gone before it even up, like refreshed on my screen. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know how to make it better. And I, it, like, it feels weird uh, when, when that happens, but I don't, I don't know how to, like, I, 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 I'm not, in, I hit the update button and then uh, Etsy decides when to show those people that, that, that information. So yeah, it, it can be really, I know, I know people have been frustrated in the past and I, but I, I, this is the fairest way that I know how to do it. Yeah, totally. And hey, it is really exciting that you are so successful with and that people love your boxes so much. I, I mean, I, I would be lying if I, if I didn't find it gratifying. <laughs> if I said I didn't find it gratifying. But it also is very humbling uh, and very um, just wild. I, I, I don't, 
I don't always get it, but I appreciate it always. So definitely. Well, again, thank you so much, Tim. This has been really fun. Thank you, Courtney. I, I really appreciate. Yeah, I really appreciate you reaching out and, and having this work out. This, this has been great. You just finished another episode of Roll, Play, Grow. To check out the show notes from today's episode, you can go to lightheartadventures.com slash RPG. To keep up with every episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice. And if you're enjoying the show, I would absolutely love if you would leave me a review and share this episode with your friends. Your review might even get featured on an upcoming episode. To follow me on Twitter, you can either find me at lightheartadv for our business account or at WCR for tweets on gaming, my dog Bowser, and other random shenanigans. You can also find us as Lightheart Adventures on both Instagram and Patreon. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time on Role Play Grow.